Hey Auntie is based in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we live and work, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and all First Nations mob everywhere. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. And welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be back with you for season two of Hey Auntie. Continuing our mission to listen to black women with more conversations reflecting our brilliance and diversity, showing that there's millions of ways to be magical. auntie how is self-love a radical act friends i can't wait to share this episode with you i'm joined by the incredible sonia renee taylor a poet writer and educator as well as an activist i'm not going to talk too much because we do a pretty good job of setting up the episode i just want you to know that i thought long and hard about the next move considering everything that's going on in the world and um, what's being shared in this episode is I hope a really important and useful and nourishing resource for you as you work out my sister how to meet this moment because all I want is for you to consider how to do so in a way that is sustainable, healthy and uh, hopefully going to lead to true liberation for you. I was married to the struggle in the way that we all often are, the way that we're taught to be, groomed to be. Um, and what I, I was like, yeah, that's a divorce I'm excited about. I don't need to struggle. <laughs> I don't want to struggle. Yeah, I love that. That's not what good looks like. That's not what liberation looks like. Not what liberation looks like. Not at right? all. Exactly. This is such a beautiful, timely conversation. Um, I have thought for a really long time that there is a lot of, um, there's a lot to draw us out. Look, we're in an important historical moment and all of us right thinking people, especially our sisters, we want to meet this moment. We want to be of service. But I also feel that there is a temptation in these times that we fall into our conditioned patterning in ways that are unhelpful and unhealthy. And so I'm so excited to have you here because, hey auntie, the whole conceit is that I ask questions that I wish I could have asked an elder or an auntie when I was younger. And I really wish I could have gone to an elder or an auntie and asked, how I could honor myself and my body while being of service. And that question is still very big and present in my mind and even more so in these present times. 
Um, because if I'm honest, I recently reread Tanahasi Coates' wonderful, wonderful book, Between the World and Me, and I really reflected on what he described about the relationship between the world and his black body. And I had to sit and reflect after listening to your book on Audible, your wonderful book, The Body Is Not an Apology. And I thought, yeah, there is another inward step from this because so much of the discourse is about mediating the relationship between the world and us. But what about the way that that relationship over millions of transactions and experience and messages and reinforcements has been internalized? And I, abs I absolutely see in my own behavior that that lack of gentleness, that lack of care that the world shows me has absolutely now become ingrained in the way that I treat myself. And so I'm so happy to have you here. Sonia, when I invited you, why did you say yes? Um, I'm trying to be in a habit of saying yes to Black women is really the first thing. Like, is like, if I'm going to give my time and I'm going to give my energy and I'm going to give my resource, I want to give it to us first. Um, and so that, because that's what also fills me, right? So part of it is how do I be in relationships that are not extractive, but that are mutually liberatory, right? Uh, and so this is an exchange that is mutually liberatory, uh, as opposed to a lot of the places where, you know, they, you know, there are places where I have put my energy in the past and certainly less so these days, I'm much more intentional, um, where I put my energy and it didn't feel mutually, um, liberatory. It was, you know, uh, an exchange of, yeah, it was an extraction. It was you have a thing to give and I want to take it. And, you know, and one of the things that I thought was particularly fascinating, I shared this on my Instagram the other day is, you know, this is, this is a moment where, you know, the great white wokeness where every white companies and white people are like, Oh, we've been sleeping for 400 years. We're sorry. What do we do? And, but still somehow, even in that re re reifying the structures of whiteness and so I had people reach out to me we were part of like you know multi-million dollar nearly billion dollar companies who want me to come on their podcast to talk to their very very white audiences for free and you said I got here's this little bit of money but I want to offer that in exchange for your time and I didn't you didn't have to do anything it, it was the way you showed up like I would like to be in reciprocity and in a world where people, you know, in a, in a world of white supremacist delusion where reciprocity is not even a thing that, you know, comes across there. But even when they're like, oh, we want to do better. But we don't mean that that involves like paying you or treating you equitably or <laughs> we want to do better in some way that is like imaginary, right? Because you, you, are a, you are a mighty spirit. You're a black woman and you survive like an air plant just purely on minerals that float around in the air. You don't need sustenance. You don't need sustenance. You don't have bills to pay. Your time, it's, it's incredible. It's so deeply ingrained in our society that it does, it's not even apparent when they are 
you know, it feels sometimes like, did you watch that film with Daniel Day-Lewis? Um, oh, it's, it's hard to distinguish between them because he's very much the same character in all of them. But there is a scene where he says, I drink your milkshake. I drink it all up. And it's so spooky and it's really gross. And he's talking about sort of just sucking all the energy out of somebody until there's nothing left. And he is saying it in a way that is quite aggressive and it comes across. But sometimes when people hit me up, I'm like, you're trying to drink my, drink my milk. My, are you trying to drink it all up? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I say all of that to say that I came here today because I knew that you were not trying to drink my milkshake all up. You mm. wanted to actually, for both of us to share a milkshake and for us to have, to right. have what we need together. And that's, that's the relationships I'm interested in cultivating today. That is beautiful and thank you. And I think I knew that this conversation would be dense with quotables because listening to your book on Audible was, it reminded me of being at law school because I had my notepad out and I was like, that's the quote. That's the one that's going on the mirror. And then I was like, no, that's the one. And just that that very way of looking at people's interactions with us and going, does this fill my cup? Is it reciprocal? I don't think we're trained in doing that as young women, as black women. We're actually trained in thinking that that is our highest good to be of use. Yes, yes, to give ourselves away. Yes, and so just having that language around okay consider interactions and consider whether they are extractive or reciprocal and proceed on that basis is a gift because my hope with this podcast you know i i'll go to a protest i'll you know i will in limited circumstances and where proper remuneration is provided consult with white organizations but the my greatest good and my purpose in this struggle is to be an oasis in the desert of extraction mm. where my sisters can come for sustenance yeah. and to fill themselves up with the tools that they will need to go out into this world and still thrive. My hope is this conversation is, well, I know, I know this conversation <laughs> is going to be. It's already be, done. It's already yeah, done. <laughs> it's already there. Isn't that beautiful? So your work it covers many subjects, but I think for a lot of people, our entry into your work is through your fantastic book, The Body Is Not An Apology. It might not be immediately evident to people why talking about self-love and radical self-love is relevant at this particular moment. Um, what is your intention in centralizing radical self-love in this current conversation? Mm, yeah. I, I I always find it fascinating when, uh, for me and the way that my brain works, I'm like, how is it not evident why we would need radical self-love? Who doesn't get it? But I get that, you know, my brain works the way my brain works. Um, we are in a moment of complete transformational possibility. We are in a moment where what I, what I often refer to as a transformational portal. Like something has opened up in the ether that it has one exposed and exposed 
for those who historically couldn't see but can see now the true nature of the way in which we have been with each other. And that is true, the way in which we have been with each other as it relates to racism and white supremacist delusion, but it also the way we have been with each other that relates to um, this particular moment of pan international pandemic, global pandemic. Um, there is a way that we have been with each other that has that is failing us as a species, right? Like, and I deeply believe that the way we have been we've, with each other is at its core foundationally a representation of the way we have been with ourselves. And that if we desire to move to a different way of being with each other, a different way of being with each other under the construct of race, a different way of being with each other under the construct of health and borders and travel, of all, of ability, of age, of gender and sexual orientation, that if we actually intend to create a new way of being with each other, then we have got to figure out how we cultivate that inside first. That we cannot build externally that which we have not built internally. Because if we haven't built it internally, then it means we don't have the set of tools that we need to build it out there, which means that we're going to use the tools we've always had, which means we're going to use the same tools that got us in this spot in the first place. Our relationship with ourselves is just externalized. That's what it, the world is made up of us and the way we see the world, the way we think about the world is absolutely also our internal condition. And so unless we shift our internal condition to that, which I believe is how we all arrived here, radical self-love, in right relationship with ourselves, in right relationship with others, not confused about our own inherent worth and divinity. If we can start from that place, then the systems that got created because we were disconnected from that don't have any utility anymore. The systems of, of racism, the systems of ageism and ableism and capitalism that are all systems about hierarchy are not useful if we don't need a hierarchical system to establish our own sense of worth and well-being, worthiness, enoughness. And so radical self-love destroys that system of hierarchy internally, and then we have no use for it externally. I, you, you okay be a professional be an interviewer i'm just i'm just like i'm doing all of the the clapping the amen the clicking all of it simultaneously while being dumbstruck by how absolutely fundamentally important and on point your message is hmm. i agree with you so wholeheartedly but when I reflect on myself personally, and I always try to bring it back to the personal, mm -hmm. I shared my fears that this lack of care, this idea that my black female body is only of value when it is of utility to somebody else, I don't think that I'm alone in that. And I don't even know what I would name such a feeling. Can you help to explain to us this state that many of us might find ourselves in where we are intelligent, we are engaged, we are woke, but we are essentially disconnected from ourselves? That's by design. This is the way that I think about it. If 
if every day your parents woke up and played the same song in your crib all day long, just 24 hours a day, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. That's what they play every single day, all day long, from the time you were a little itty bitty infant. And that's all you heard. First of all, you would know I'm a little teapot inside, outside, backwards, forwards. You would know all the syllables, all the beats. It would be in you. It would just be, it'd be a song inside you. And to turn that song off, you would have to do some intentional work. You would have to build some new libraries of music, right? And the shame and disconnection that we feel inside of ourselves is the song that's been pumped into our crib since we were born. You are not enough, Black woman. You are not enough. You are failing. You're too dark. You're not smart enough. You're not as good as these people. You're never going to be pretty. Like, we have been listening to that our entire existence. It's the song we sing inside ourselves because it's the one that has the most consistent lyrics over our lives. So it's not actually the disconnection is that we have internalized this external song as our song, as our internal song, and it isn't. And so the, the work is really about making the distinction between the external song and my true song. And that as we begin to make the distinction between those two things, we actually start to have some facility around turning down that song because we have a new, we can actually get to the other playlist. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, I would rather hear Megan the Stallion than I'm a little teapot today. So I'm gonna put in Megan the Stallion. It's a hot girl summer. So, <laughs> so once we have some facility again in recognizing that that song isn't our song, we, we actually can hear our own song more clearly. Um, and this also is like, you know, the African proverb about the, um, the Bantu nation, right? And the, the, you bring a child back to themselves by singing their song to them. That I believe is like really powerfully what this is talking about is like, we, we have to be the keepers of our own songs and not let society give us their song. And we've been just listening to that song for such a long time that we think it's us, but it's not. The title of your book, which in itself just Ooh, it wins you when you read it because it just it hits you with some weighty truth like a like a medicine ball landing on the ground it's like boof. <laughs> the body is not an apology can you share for people who've not read the book where that title comes from and talk to me about the forms of apology that we manifest as black women the title came from a conversation with a friend and um, yeah, it's an, it's an old coat now. I've been wearing it for a long time. So I'm like, oh yeah, the body's not on fire. And I, some days I forget to presence that like, that it is a word that me, you know, like that there's a, there's a spell in it, you know, and there was a spell when it came out of my face and that spell is still um, valuable today. Uh, and so it started off as a conversation with a friend. I was at a poetry slam in the South. And, you know, my team, we were all very different, a very diverse team of people. 
and I was in the room with one of my teammates and she was sharing with me how she was afraid that she might have an unintended pregnancy. And I am the nosy friend. I'm the friend who'll get in your business from a place of love. <laughs> so from that place of loving nosy auntie, um, I asked my friend um, very specifically about her choice to have unprotected sex with this casual partner, because I knew it was a casual partner. And my friend who had cerebral palsy um, was just powerfully vulnerable and honest in her response to me. And she said that her disability made it difficult for her to be sexual, so she didn't feel entitled to ask this person to use a condom. And when she said that to me, the, the propulsion of the next words came through me. They were not of me, they were just through me. And I'm very clear about that today. And I said, your body is not an apology. It's not something you offer to someone to say sorry for my disability. And there was something, the medicine ball of that, you know, and I love that you use the term medicine ball because that's exactly what it was. It was medicine and it was heavy and it was for me. You know, I would, today, I'm very clear, it was for me. <laughs> more than, even more than it was for her. It was for her for whatever it was for her, but it was for me. But there is that beautiful reciprocity again. Exactly, exactly. And that is, that, is, that is the truth, right? Is that there is, when we share a medicine with each other, it is for both of our healing. And that may look very different for each of us, but it is for both of our healing. And so it did whatever it was supposed to do for her, but and it stayed with me. And I was like, this is a poem because I'm a poet and that was poetic. <laughs> this is going to be a poem. So I wrote the poem, The Body is Not an Apology. And, you know, and then I started performing this poem. And that poem is a spell. So every time I said it, I was further casting the spell of the body is not an apology. And it was a great example of what the things that we are apologized for, because what would happen is I'd be on stage doing this poem and then I would start to be, um, it would start to be reflected to me, the places where I wasn't living in alignment with the word. And those were all the places where I was still apologizing. <laughs> those were all the places where I was still apologizing. I was still apologizing for being in a fat, black, dark-skinned body. I was still apologizing for, you know, not being professional enough, whatever that looks like. I was still apologizing for all the things that I thought weren't good enough about me. I love the way that this moment occurred because you were being a... a beautiful friend and standing in solidarity with someone you loved and that opened a portal for this this eternal truth this truth that's reflected in that african proverb you told me this ancient knowledge that our own resonance is holy fell into you at that moment and then challenged you to get in right relationship with yourself yes that's exactly how that happened that is incredible. And the it just hit me so hard. Can, can I tell you a secret? I can't tell a secret. I'm a secret. I'm like, ooh, a secret. Oh, the way you leaned in then, sis. That was, you done that a thousand times. You're like, mm, yes. Um, I started listening to your book and I really struggled at first because the truth was hard. 
I loved having opinions. I loved telling people what I thought about, oh, they ain't treating black people right over there. And they ain't treating black people right over there. But it was ever so hard to sit with, well, how are you treating black people, namely yourself, oh, over right. here? Up in here, up in here. <laughs> and it was difficult and it took a few sips, you know, until I was able to sit with it and be comfy and really gain from it. And I know that it's going to be an ongoing process, but it's vital now because when I look out into the world, we're all being, we're all being tempted now to act without pause. Act now, act now. We need you as a resource now. After 400 years of slumber, we have decided that black people are important. Got to hit you up right now. Give us your response. You know, I have friends who are black women, the only black woman in their place of work, who are being asked to write letters to boards about, yeah, it's, it's mental, unreasonable, crazy, extractive, unhealthy. And I think that it's violent. And I also think that it's uh, it's a red herring because I had the beautiful indigenous doctor and activist Chelsea Bond on a couple of weeks ago for a conversation. And she said to me, we were talking about the interrelation between um, African descendant black people and indigenous black people. And something that Chelsea said, which I thought was really poignant was, that everybody looks to whiteness for models instead of looking, we don't look intra-community for models of liberation. Um, she said we, she said she has a concern that for many black fellas, their idea of liberation is maintaining the pyramid. Being with, at the top. And being at the top. <laughs> just replace white people or just like el elbowing them aside and sharing that little pointy thing at, at the top of the pyramid and she's like that that is not what liberation has to look like we need to imagine different forms of liberation and her point was that we need to look at different sources maybe we need to be self-referential if the song is your little teapot, ugly and black, you're not pretty and you're not smart. If that's the song you've been living with for your whole life, then no, you're not gonna be self-referential. Your assumption is itself is the failure. That's the reason why, I mean, as far, I mean, this, that the pyramid with white men at the top isn't liberation, it's white, cis, hetero, capitalist patriarchy. It's the system that we're pyramid. Right. That you pyramid. Know, that pyramid is the is what we live in now. And we I don't burn it, it down. Yeah, it's a wrap. Destroy it. It's got to go. It's got to go. And so, if you're trying to be at the top of that, then what it means is you're just interested in being a new version of the same old oppressor. And that means you're gonna have to go too. So that's one of the moments where it's like, which side are you on, friend? Because if that's the side you're on, it's it's a wrap for you too. Now, all y'all got to go, <laughs> right? Um, but if we connect to our radical self-love, if we actually connect to ourself as divinity, as a manifestation of source in flesh, then of course we would be self-referential because we would be referred to the divine, which is where we should go to get our answers from anyway. So if I am divine, <laughs> if I am 
created in the image of the divine, if that which made the stars and the galaxies and the oceans and the flowers and the bees also made me, and the bees don't go to white men and be like, what do we need to do? The bees go to the queen bee. They go to their colony <laughs> and they source it from there. <laughs> we, if we were connected with our own sense of divinity, then we would know that that which is the source of love is in us. And so it is the place to go first for our information and our liberation. Mm -hmm. And if you can't figure out, if you can't recognize liberation inside you, how are you gonna recognize it when we get there externally? Can you tell me about the peas? Can you share with folks about the peas? Because I think that, you know, for somebody who's getting a fresh introduction to the just the key underpinnings, everybody who listens to this podcast, unless they are completely devoid of good sense, is going to immediately go out. And I highly recommend um, listening to Sonia's book on Audible. But what I should have done to save my notepad is bought a hard copy so I could have just bent highlighting instead so of it's the great both and it's the great both and <laughs> instead of trying to furiously note-take all of the key takeaways instead I would have so that's my top tip but for people who are new to it I think that this is just such a fundamental underpinning and such a really lovely way in to how self-love leads into social justice work yeah, so there are, we say that there are three pieces, the three pieces, and these are the things that we have to learn how to make peace with if we actually want any chance of reconnecting with our own sense of radical self-love, and if we want to reconnect to radical self-love as an ethos in the world. And the first is um, to make peace with not understanding, like that there are just, there are things that you don't know, and there are things that you will, and this is by far, it's my hardest piece. <laughs> it's the piece that I wrestle with every single day because I am a know it all. I want to know it all, everything. <laughs> and so the idea that there are things that I just don't know and I will never know drives me bonkers. But what happens when we don't understand is that we assign it some sort of value, some sort of moral value or intellectual value on ourselves. I don't understand, so I must not be, because that, again, is the structure that we live in, which is to not know something is, is to be a failure, is to be less than, right? There's all of these systems of hierarchy wrapped up in it. Especially as a Black woman, because... Especially. Because as a Black woman, I know myself that, you know, that whole thing of we have the receipts, that's cute and all, but the reason why we have the receipts is because it has been unsafe for us to lift our voices until we have, you know, cliff notes and everything. And so we place a lot of capital in our own community on coming correct and knowing and being right and finishing an argument and having the definitive opinion. And it makes so little space for not knowing. And that not knowing is so necessary for growth. Mm -hmm. It's one of the three Ps. It's one of the three Ps. It's absolutely, that is so, everything you just said is so powerful to me because needing the receipts, mm, needing the receipts is what happens when you grow up in a world that gaslights you. In a world that tells you every single day 
that what you know to be true isn't true, then you can't be no place without receipts. They just say, because otherwise they just call you a liar. Everything you said is made up. And so, but the problem is even- And the violence, the violence, the violence that is, the violence in that and the violence that that enables. Absolutely. And so we've internalized this need to have the receipts. We got to know, we got to have it all together. I better have, I could read you from A, B, C, D, E, F, right? And there's this way in which, which creates this experience of constantly being on the defense. It's the constant, I'm constantly preparing to have to defend my truth, my reality, my life, my experience, all of those things. But if we are always in the, the position of defense, then we are never in the position of receptivity. Or growth. And I get, or gro- but that's, that's the growing space. You can't grow without receptivity. There's, things don't grow if they stay in the bud. They open. That is receptiveness. The plant opens, the flower opens. I know this is hard work. And so I want to be as much a teacher as a cheerleader. I want to say, here's what I see, how we can do this. And let me tell you that I'm with you. Let me tell you that I'm cheering you on. Let me tell you that I promise I'm going to hold your hand through this. And when you get done, it's going to illuminate things that are so valuable for you in your own life. And that's how it happens is you let it in and then you're out on your jog and then you're like, oh, there's that extra piece that just showed up. And the gifts start coming from day one, that you open the gate and you let the truth in, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, the gifts start coming. And you know what else? The drainers and the assaults on your personhood, they start moving away because they can even sense that you are clued up and they they see the tide is a turning and they turn from your door. So it's rewarding, it's rewarding. So I, I, I don't want anyone to let my shared vulnerability around my w- wussiness um, make them not dive on in. Make a cup of tea. Like I say to people who listen to this podcast, if you, you know, if we're talking about something meaty, work on your, nurture yourself through the process make a cup of tea i personally recommend a cabri's all gold rum and raisin chocolate bar (laughs) i'm here for it absolutely do do what you need to do to support yourself to do this nourishing work look look at that the just one of the peas and it's so enriching (laughs) so the other two peas Peace, so we've got number one, peace with not understanding. Make peace with not understanding. It's okay not to know it all. It's okay not to have all the answers. It actually opens you up to beautiful transformational growth. Number two, make peace with difference. We have such a difficult time. We've all, again, part of that, I'm a little teapot song, is that we everybody got the same song. Everyone should sing the same song and it should all sound the same. And if it's different, something is wrong. We've made difference mean wrong. We've made difference mean bad. And as long as we live in a world where difference is wrong and bad, then the ways in which we are coded as difference become wrong and bad, which means we have now become wrong and bad. And this is part of the way that separates us from our own radical Mm self-love. And talk to me about how this manifests in community and in movements. Oh, there are so, I mean... So when we don't make peace with difference, what it also means is that we, we shrink everyone to a one-size-fits-all assumption. And we see this right now in movement right now, right? So the faith for, um, for the impact 
of police violence are black men, which erases the experience of black women, cis and trans women, erases the experience of black non-binary people who are also disproportionately killed by the police and consequently do not even see the same kinds of recourse or outrage or efforting towards um, towards justice in their experiences as as it is for black men. So George Floyd died and it was heinous, it was horrible, it was one of the worst things it was so inhumane and we saw it and we set the world on fire. Breonna Taylor's uh, murderers are sleeping in their bed with their wives as we speak. They are resting, having their own cup of tea, living their regular lives. I mean, and there's a whole nother deeper conversation about abolition and all these other things. And, but, but what I want to say is that there's a reason we set things on fire for George Floyd, but we didn't set things on fire for Breonna Taylor. There's a reason that everyone knows Trayvon Martin's name and everyone does not know Ayanna Stanley's name, the eight-year-old girl who was murdered sleeping on her grandmama couch by the police. When we make everything the same, when we do not make peace with difference, we collapse difference into default. We collapse difference into that which is already the most um, accessible and recognizable of a group, which is why when you read a book and it says humans, what they really meant was white people because they've collapsed humanity into the thinness of whiteness. We've collapsed Black Lives Matter into the thinness of Black masculinity because we have not done the work to say there are different experiences and we need to be highlighting and raising to awareness all the nuances of those experiences so that we don't lose anybody on our way to freedom. Amen, sis. And I absolutely see that because there is also, if I'm honest, a concern that we don't have space for difference within our definition of solidarity. Um, that because we have I'm a little teapot not good enough playing in our head all the time we are always concerned with our worthiness in our interactions with others doing things onto us and so there is this level of suspicion this bear trap of I can only have solidarity with people with exactly the same experience and opinion as me. Otherwise, the bear trap springs, you know, that that unworthiness that I carry that I have not poured love onto springs shut. And you're not if you're not completely with me and exactly the same as me, you're against me because I can't I don't have enough space internally to allow you to be physically different, spiritually different, um, have a different opinion and still trust that you will be in solidarity with me. Ooh, we're only two peas deep, one whole more pea to go. <laughs> and the last P, the last P is to make peace with your own body, to make peace with your own body. Because again, just like you said, you wanna know what the experience of liberation, of sensuality, of creativity, of joy, of power is and we have spent our lives thinking that that is external that that is some outside place outside destination 
we are trying to get to. There is a reason why black women spend more per capita on beauty products and hair products than any other race in the world. There is a reason why we still buy skin bleaching products, hair straightening products, even just regular cosmetics that contain formaldehyde and other carcinogenic chemicals. It is because I'm a little teapot is so strong and so profitable for those outside of us and the liberation that is contained in even me sitting here with my teeny weeny headphone squashed afro is... <laughs> That's a, that is a, a vibrant afro that is not teeny weeny <laughs> from someone who grows teeny weeny afros that is a fabulous fresh and full afro my my dear <laughs> thank you <laughs> that is those the three p's are so fundamental i love that I love, Sonia, that at a certain point you posted something on Instagram that again, boof, medicine ball landing, and you said that a lot of people are going to need to do some inner child work, and boy, oh boy, that rang true for me, because I, I've, I've felt it. At the moment, there's a lot of airing of, it's like Festivus. The air may the airing of the grievances commence. Yes, <laughs> right. And everyone has everyone has I understand and acknowledge and validate. A lot of people have been holding a lot of stuff for a long time, and everyone's going boof. Here are all of the things that I have suffered through, and I don't know where we think the processing of that is going to occur if not internally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we think the world is like the babysitter. We're like, no, I'm I'm dropping this off. I'm dropping it off at your house. I'm going out tonight. And yeah, the healing of that, there is no babysitter for your inner child. Nobody else wants, there have been, there's called your partner. It's called the people at your job. It's, we've been foisting our, our, our undealt with children off on everybody else and then wondering why they act up. Why are we out here acting up? And it's because there is no one else that is going to show up as the loving, necessary, stabilizing force in our inner child's life if we don't. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I can speak for myself. I think that my, my mother in particular did an incredible job just to ensure that I was, you know, got access to the privileges that allow me, you know, the life that I have. But I didn't get taught a lot of things around self-parenting and I think that there is a critical lack of self-parenting skills in our community and I am concerned when I see this great reckoning of Black Lives Matter that that wish that we have that it is us imagining a new and better world that centers love um, may we may undersell ourselves if it actually just becomes a place to put all of our unprocessed trauma well unprocessed trauma makes us settle that's i mean if we look for the places where we haven't processed trauma in our own lives it makes us settle for raggedy relationships raggedy friendships raggedy jobs right like for it makes us settle for less than or like it's just like well whatever i can get right because a child who is crying and, and hungry and feels destabilized 
really, I mean, for a while it'll cry for its mother, but eventually it's just like, can some fucking adult take care of me, please, right? And so if we haven't done the inner healing work that we need to do, then again, what we will mistake um, these paltry offerings as something of substance. We will, we will take just stop, just stop killing of us becomes enough when we, when we don't know what deep, true, loving care feels like. And so if we haven't figured out the ways to give ourselves deep, true, loving care, then we cannot, we won't recognize it when it shows up and we will fall for the things that are um, facsimiles of it. That's what we'll start accepting, the facsimile of it rather than the actual thing. And I think that we've, you know, I'm really, I give a lot of uh, props in this particular moment to frameworks like healing justice and folks that are really saying that a liberation practice has to live on top of a healing practice praxis and for me that that all of those things are situated on top of radical self-love i recognize that i'm divine and i'm worthy and so i seek my healing rather than just a cessation of my most immediate pain i seek my healing and that is a different way of living that's a different way of living my radical self-love demands love demands full restoration of my wellness, not just that I, that, you know, that the pain that is immediate right now stops, but the full restoration of our wellness, because only from the, only from the vantage point of the full restoration of our wellness, can we actually clearly see liberation. That's the only vantage point from which we can actually see it. Obviously, I'm a fan of your incredible work, and it rings true to me. Nobody can be this embodied all the time. And I think it's really, it's really important for us to, one of the purposes of this pod is to be vulnerable in public in front of other brown, black women. Yeah. Because I think that I see fabulous black women I see myself and I don't see the intermediary connection points between. And so, you know, what are the things that trigger you to get out of your state of radical, radical self-love? Um, how did you learn to recognize those triggers? And what are the tools that you call on when you feel yourself being pulled away? Again, in this conversation of like, how do we uh, like care for our, little selves for our, our toddler selves like because that's that is where our core wounds is that's where my core wounds are right the, the earliest thing the, the first messages that i'm not good enough that i will never be chosen that people will leave me and that i've got to perform good enough in order so that people don't leave me and all of these all of those stories those started there with little sonia and so and and there are all kinds of things. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer in tools, which is why at the back of the book, I give you 10 tools. Cause I'm like, I believe in tools, give me some tools. And so, um, I'm, I try all the tools. I really do. I've tried, I mean, and I believe in all the tools and that is how I try to realign when I'm off of my radical self-love path. I knew it was going to be a pleasure to talk to you, but I was, I was not ready. 
Thank you so much to Sonia for that incredible conversation. I hope that you got as much out of it as I did. Friends, I would love it if you could share this episode. Rate Hey Auntie on the Apple Podcast app. It makes such a difference for us. We want to reach as many people as possible and um, a really wonderful way to support the podcast is to get online, give us a five-star rating, give us a written rating. It means that more people will see and hear these stories. Thank you so much, friends. See you next time. Life was not at all, so can-